Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. And so we've been talking about the Ten Commandments and we come to part six today, which is the second last part because next week I'm going to deal with two commandments in one like we did with three right at the beginning. And uh, we need to remember that the commandments don't save us, but they do shape us. And as a reminder, if you want to know how it works, because people say we're not under the law, you need to realize Israel became the nation of Israel by blood. They couldn't be God's people without the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And they painted the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death flew over their homes and they left Egypt as God's people. In the same way, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been put on the doorposts of our hearts and we've become God's people. However, when Israel was in the wilderness, God didn't just say, you're my people, I love you, you can do what you like. He gave them his law, his moral law, to show them how the people of God ought to live. And in the same way, when we become Christians, we don't just say we're not under the law. The law can't save us, but it shapes us. And we discover in the Bible, the law and the commandments in the New Testament, we discover how to live and be God's people. Are you all with me? And that's why you have the Gospels, which talk about Jesus, his life, why he came, how he came, how he lived and how he died. That's the blood sacrifice. And then in the New Testament, we see all the letters of uh, Paul and Peter and John and others, and we discover how we ought to live, if you like, the law of God for the behavior of the church. And so it's very important for us to respect the Ten Commandments and not to ignore them. They don't make us right with God. The blood does, but they certainly make us right with people. When you follow the commands, you get on well with people. The two tablets, the first five, are those above us, God and our parents, and then the second five are about our relationship with others. Those are alongside us, our neighbor. And here's what often has been a problem, before I get to read Exodus 20, is that people say we are not under the law anymore because we have a new commandment. Jesus said a new commandment. In other words, the ten are gone, but I give you a new commandment. This is a, this is a supposition. A new commandment I give unto you is that you love one another. Ah, you see, people say, all you have to do is love. You don't have to obey the law anymore. As a result, people do all sorts of things in the church. The church must be open to all kinds of perverse sexuality because, you know, after all, it's just love. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You, one person clapping. Thank you, sir. May you be a trigger to others. Now, you don't have to clap, but here's the thing, church. Let me read this text to you because this is where we get it wrong. And, and like I told you last week, that Beatles song, all you need is love. No, you don't just need love. You need God's commandments. That's the form of love you need. Now, watch what Paul says here. He explains what love is, and he doesn't replace the commandments with just a general love. He explains that the commandments are love. Read with me on the screen, Romans chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
not replaced the law, and notice fulfilled the law. Are you with me? He's not saying if you love someone, you don't have to worry about the commandments. He's saying the commandments are actually love in action. Then he explains it to us. Watch here. The commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Are you with me? He's not saying as long as you just love people, it's cool. That's why people commit adultery. Well, we're in love with each other, and the love that we feel for each other goes beyond the law. No, Jesus explains that the law is actually real love in God's sight, and that this emotional thing we call love, a feeling we get, is compromise, not real love. The commandments are love for God and love for others. Does that make sense? And it's so important for us to have sound teaching. The Ten Commandments are basically respect for God and respect for others. Not just being loving to everyone who we come across in the name of the Lord. Now, we must be hateful to people, but that's not what's called love. And people in the world today are saying, you don't love us. No, we love what God loves, and we hate what God hates. Do a study on that sometime. Can't be loving to people who are anti-God. That's foolishness. Exodus chapter 20. Are you ready? They're ready in Kyle Army. And online, they're even more ready. I say that by faith. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, not Moses. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I should be first, he says. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Wherever there's love, there's jealousy. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you keep God's commandments, it means you love him. Going on, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day, because we tend to forget it, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You see, it's about God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your man nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Notice God cares about the foreigner too. And uh, he wants the foreigner even to rest. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. By the way, he wasn't tired. He paused to reflect, and that's what we need to do. And then he says here, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Listen, honor them, not according to performance, but according to who they really are. They are your life source. Even if drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, or whatever they are, you honor them not because of who they are, but because of the office they hold. Just like you stop for a policeman. And when you honor your parents, society is ordered. These things are for ordering of society or culture, if you like. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. It doesn't say you shall not admit adultery. You should not commit adultery. Then the eighth commandment, you shall not 
steel. Gosh, South Africa finds those four words difficult to understand. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And really stealing is a lack of respect for what belongs to your neighbor. Just like adultery is lack of respect for your neighbor's wife or husband. You don't respect that it is theirs, so you start to take it. That's what adultery is. It's taking someone else's spouse. Yeah, but they don't love them and they're not having sex. Doesn't matter. You don't steal from your neighbor because he's got a lot. You see, we keep reasoning. Yeah, but they've got so much. There's so much inequality. No, it says thou shalt not steal and there are no qualifications after it. And this command against stealing, the command against adultery, they're all reiterated in the New Testament. We don't have time to look at them today. But I want you to realize that stealing was the very first sin that was committed in the Bible. Do you realize that? The very first sin was one of theft. Eve took something that God told her was not hers to take. He said, you can eat everything else. It's all yours, but that's mine. And she decided to steal you know, Cain killed Abel, murder. These things are modern-day phenomenon. They are in the heart of man, in the heart of women, and we need to deal with them. And you see repeatedly in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, Achan took the gold of the city of Jericho when it was meant to be the tithe, the first fruits. And when you steal the tithe from God, it's a serious thing. And Achan was judged for that. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel were kings but they still stole Naboth's vineyard. You see, you can have everything, but stealing is in the heart of people. It's not just poor people who steal, rich people steal too. And then we see again that uh, there is numerous incidences of theft. Stealing is what happens in secret. Robbery is what happens openly. If you want to know the difference between robbery and stealing, one is openly done, the other one is done in secret. And in South Africa, we both steal and rob as a way of life. You could have clapped, but don't. Now, wait, wait, wait. Listen. 241 cars are stolen a day in South Africa. That's 88,000 in 2020, despite lockdown. 241 cars a day. You know, divide that by eight hours, you'd be shocked at how many cars are being stolen every couple of minutes. Someone is stealing a car. 99,000 hijackings in 2019, 2020. 1.1 incidences of theft of personal property in 2019-2020. Street robbery increased from 697,000 incidents in 2015-2016 to 1.1 million in 2019-2020. Now most people say, hey, it's because of poverty. No, it's not because of poverty. It's because sin is going unchecked. The police are doing nothing. They only stop you for your license or for speeding when it's bonus month like November. Have you noticed the speed traps are all out at the moment? Just thought I'd mention that. 384,000 individuals experience consumer fraud in 1.4 million incidences and a significant increase in the theft of personal property from 2015-2016 to 2019-2020 has gone up. Housebreaking and burglary increased from 2.1 million incidences in 2015-2016 to 2.3 million 
in 2019, 2020, and I saw a headline in the shop yesterday that they say ESCOM's power problems are not just the failing system, but the theft from ESCOM. We are in a terrible position because of stealing. We need to stop stealing as a way of life. Let me give you a definition. It's become very quiet in here. I wonder how many people are guilty. Just, just stay looking forward. But definition, to take another's property, another person's property, without permission or legal right, without intending to return it. You know, that's what we've done in South Africa. We have pillaged and stolen from every single institution. ESCOM, the post office, the transnet, the defense force, weapons have been stolen. And on it, on it goes, we've run every, the municipalities, we've run them into the ground. Why? Because we have justified stealing because of two things, the past and poverty. But God never justifies them in the scriptures. Banks are being robbed. Armed robbery. Fraud. It's become a way of life. And... Uh, you know what I think it is? I think it's the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. See, when we're stealing slots, you love money. You've got to call it what it is. Stop calling things what they're not. When a woman has an abortion, stop calling it her human right. No, no, don't confuse it. It's murder. Because a woman has a body, but the other body that's in there is not her body. But we've got a way, hey? We've got a way. And we'll go on the street and we'll dance and we'll sing and we'll hold up banners. Because God's not right, we are. And we're in a mess. And South Africa's got a problem with stealing. Uh, definition number two, the desire to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. Gosh. A 2015 study reported in America that amongst retailers, this is you know, people who sell like supermarkets, shops, uh, uh, retail shops, they lost $43 billion. That's a squillion rand. Due to theft, more than $18 billion of that was from employee theft, people who worked for them. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce reports that 75% of employees steal at least once from their employer. Over 37% of employees make a habit of stealing. Nearly 40% of the people where they work, they take from their employers. It's getting more than you give. I think the majority of South Africans, forgive me for being so blunt, but the majority of South Africans go to work and give less than what they're supposed to, but expect more than they're supposed to. You know, if you get a salary but you don't earn it, it's actually theft. If you go to work late, it's theft because they're paying you for those hours and you're stealing that time for yourself. If you go home early, you're saying my time is more important even though I'm getting paid. If you take stuff from your employer, if you don't give the best to customers, you're actually stealing because it's a transaction. They're giving you X money for X hours or X service. If the trade is not fair, someone is stealing. You see, the unions have told us that it's only the worker that's the downtrodden. He, the worker is the saint and the employee is a demon. No, no, no. Employers steal from employees, but employees also steal from employers. That's why there's such an adversarial relationship. As Christians, we need to be giving our best at work. In fact, beyond our best. Because God sees. Are you with me? 
And the challenge that we've un- that we, that we got to get past today is that all classes of people steal, not just the poor. Stealing is not a poor issue, it's a heart issue. And we've got to stop doing it. And in South Africa, we've got a high rate of theft and the lowest rate of productivity in the whole of Africa because we give less, but we expect more. Isn't that the truth? You know, it's, I was, it's interesting. I was reading uh, this article. There was an Eastern Cape businessman, and uh, he owns businesses and flats and everything, Sandilion Tabella. And he was convicted and sentenced to 12 years behind bars for illegally connecting his block of flats to ESCOM power. The Hawks said he continuously tampered with the power utilities infrastructure, and as a result, ESCOM lost more than 178,000 rand. Clearly, he could afford the power because he's a businessman, but he chose not to pay for it. See, that's not, that's not poverty. That's an attitude of entitlement. And as a result, all of us pay for that because it's not only him who has to pay for the electricity. All of us get our electricity bill raised to cater for all the stealing and, and all these tenders and everything. It's very quiet in this uh, Presbyterian church this morning. But stealing is taking something without earning it. And the Bible's very clear on it. In fact, here's an interesting thing, and I've noticed this happens all the time, is if you have a box, like let's use the cereal boxes. Have you noticed when you open the cereal box, the cereal is like here. Why don't they make the box that big? I'll tell you why. Because when you were a child, that box was full. So what they didn't do was, you know, say the box was five rand. They didn't make it five rand next year or five rand the year after. They just kept putting less in and charging you the same. Till eventually you open the box and it's like, (laughs) if you're going to travel, take it out because it takes up space. You see, and the Lord says in Deuteronomy, you mustn't have differing weights in your bag. You must have honest measure. Don't say it's this for that. You're you're actually stealing from the consumer because you're pretending that you're giving this, but actually you're not. That's why when you go shopping, have a look. Look at, the, look at the size of things. If the price goes up, look again. How many grams are in you? How many? It's your job to make sure that you're not, and don't say they're ripping me off. You, you just be a wise consumer because stealing is in the heart of every person, not just manufacturers. Stop making business owners and manufacturers the devil. Everybody steals. And it's up to you to check on it. And God hates it. In fact, in Deuteronomy, notice this. Deuteronomy 25, verse 16 says this, For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. Why? Because it damages relationships. I've got six things I'm going to give you in the time I've got remaining. Why do we steal? And how we can prevent this from happening. When you understand it, you can deal with your own heart and you can understand the problems we have in our society. Number one, the reason people steal, this is the most important one, it's our fallen human nature. It's our fallen human nature. It's a leaning in all of us, a selfishness in all of us. It's not just social circumstances that cause stealing. Because otherwise, when you become rich, You should stop stealing, but clearly people don't. Why? Because our fallen nature continues to do what we shouldn't do. Martin Luther said, if if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. Gosh, Martin Luther said that. Hmm? 
Shocking, eh? 70% of theft is done by people who could actually afford to buy what they stole. Do you know how many people get arrested in Santon for stealing and then they find out there's a BMW parked outside or a Mercedes and then they live in Houghton or they live in, in Ilovo in some, some nice area but they're still stealing? Why? Because in the heart of man is something that makes us steal. The great Augustine, the church father, he writes in his book, The Confessions, and uh, he talks about how when he was a child, they stole pears from a neighbor's garden. And he said, it's not because we were hungry or even wanted the pears, he said, this was just for the sake of sin. And to quote him, he says, my desire was to enjoy not what I sought by stealing, but merely the excitement of thieving and the doing of what was wrong. You see, our, human fallen, our fallen human nature is fed by Satan. Did you know that? In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Have you noticed during looting, they didn't just steal, they killed and destroyed. Because your human nature, when you live for yourself, is fed by Satan, and stealing is not enough. You kill and destroy. And then you've got people saying, it's because they were hungry. No, no, there might have been a small percentage. It's that spirit of selfishness, uncontrolled and unchecked by the police that leads to it. Let's not call things what they're not. That's what the world does. The world doesn't acknowledge God. It doesn't acknowledge sin. And so it tries to find social answers to challenges and then Christians go along with it. You don't get your theology from social media. You get it from the Bible. Number two, a lack of contentment and patience. We've got to learn to be content. And whether you steal or not, a lack of contentment makes you open to taking what's not yours. We've got to wait on God and we've got to be grateful for what we have. Don't put aside your ambitions and your dreams, but don't become impatient as you wait for them. Even today, miracle offering, we have sown. Now we need patience to wait as God brings about the blessing. You know, it takes years and years and years to prosper. You might invent something, you might find something that everybody needs and become rich while you're young, but most people build wealth over time by faithfulness, by giving, and by not stealing, and we've got to be careful. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money, and what's associated with it? And be content with what you have. You see, when you're not content, that's when you take someone else's spouse and you commit adultery. When you're not content with what someone has said or done, you take their life. Thou shalt not murder. Hmm? And when you're not content with what you have and you see your neighbor or others have more, you justify it by using inequality and then you steal. And we have justified all our sins instead of acknowledge that we're wrong before God and obeying Him. You want blessing in our lives. Hmm? Number three, a loss of respect for private property ownership. It's a foundational Bible truth that God wants you and I to own personal, private property. It is not wrong. And for you to own one or two or three houses is not a sin. If you've worked for it and you've been wise and you've stewarded your life, you deserve the blessing, even if someone else never ever gets the chance to have a property. But socialism and communism have convinced us that we ought to share everything with everybody and we, they take away private property and they esteem it as a value. 
don't get caught up in unbiblical thinking. We need to be people who respect private property. Are you with me? And don't call it equality. There's no such thing as equality. There never will be equality. There needs to be generosity and charity. But there will never be equality. Are you with me? And all these social justice warriors misinterpret the Bible. When the Bible talks about social justice, it doesn't mean sharing your wealth with everybody so that everyone gets a share. It's talking about justice where there's injustice, where people are oppressed or lied about or kept back purposefully, but it's not talking about a social justice like communism and socialism. That's where Christians get confused that the Bible is just like socialism. It isn't. Just look at the socialists. They are all rich people telling you what to do with your money. Come on, every single one of them. They live like kings, wear branded clothing, branded shoes, but proclaim the poor, the poor, the poor. Share your money first, then we'll give you ours. Isn't that true? You've got to say this stuff because no one says it. Everyone wants to be politically correct on social media so they can have followers. Gosh. Now listen. Respecting private property is not just land or your car or whatever. It's things like copyright. Stealing from a book. You'll notice I quote people. Have you noticed I quote people and I put their name and their picture up? Because I'm using what they said and I'm telling you that's what they said. And guess what? You, 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 people receive that. But you, you can't take, take a Martin Luther quote and then you know, modify it. You know? you know what I always say? In my books, I quote other people. Because they're a rich source that I want to bring to you. Don't steal other people's music. Yeah, but they charge so much. See, we've always got reasons why we steal. It's so expensive. Well, then don't have it. We don't have any Louis Vuitton stuff in our house. Even though every place I go to, I see people flaunting it. So it doesn't justify stealing. You just look and go, don't have that won't have that. And then my last thought is, it's made in China anyway. <laughs> so let's respect private property and the value of property. I want you to notice how God values private property. Read with me in Exodus 22. It says, if a thief is caught breaking in at night and he struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed because he could chase him away. Now watch, anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. That means they must pay it back. But if they have, watch this, nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. That's what, most social justice warriors don't know the Bible. Because here it says if you've got nothing, it's not justified because God values private property. And your body must be sold to pay for it because stealing is serious. Gosh. Oh, shame, Pastor Andre. Are you saying? Yep. <laughs> now watch, it gets worse. It gets worse. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or a vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. So if they eat your grass and your grapes, they must pay. 
Forget about stealing your BMW or breaking into your house, stealing your flat screen TV, if they eat your grass or your grapes. Can you see stealing has become something we just completely justify out of sentimentality? No wonder our world is in trouble. Got to protect personal property. And today you've been made to feel guilty if you've got personal property. God help you if you've got a nice garden. And if it's irrigated, automatically shame on you. Because there are others who have nothing. That is the world we live in. Now, J.I. Packer, in the book called Keeping the Ten Commandments, he says this, behind the commandment lies the Bible view of property, namely, that ownership is stewardship. By human law, my property is that which I own and may dispose of as I wish, as distinct from that which I'm merely allowed to use as borrower or trustee under conditions that the owner imposes. Bible believers, however, know that what human law says I own, my money, goods, legal rights, and titles, I actually hold as God's trustee. So here's the thing. When you steal, you're not just stealing my private property, but you're stealing that which God has entrusted to me to take care of. And clearly, if he's given me a lot, he entrusts me with a lot, maybe because of faithfulness over many years. Number four, I know it's painful. Here's the reason why people steal. Many feel entitled to what others have. So many people feel entitled to what others have. They think they deserve unearned benefits. No, stealing is never justified. Chris Jamie, the popular American poet, said this. He said, a thief is one who insists on sharing his victimhood. You say, Pastor, are you a bit hard? No, 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 no. Let me remind you, Jesus had a thief on staff who had a social justice mindset. Let's read it. John chapter 12. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. This is when Mary poured the ointment out over Jesus' feet. It was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He felt entitled to take was not, what was not his, yet he never gave anything personally. I've discovered that the people who cry out the loudest about the poor are the ones who give the least to the poor personally. They always come with us. The church should. The government should. No, 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 let's start with you. Show me your bank statement, how much you're giving to social justice, and maybe we'll follow you. But don't get us to spend our money in the way you're not doing it because you're speaking about something. You see, it's an entitlement. People feel entitled. Looting, people felt entitled. And then you've got Christians saying it's because they're hungry. No, they killed, stole, and destroyed. It's human fallen nature, and it's the spirit of the world and the Bible says, even if you have nothing, you mustn't steal. It's never an excuse because God protects private property. Are you with me? I don't know if you remember during the looting, there was a man with a Mercedes Benz who looted. And some of the people you can see in these pictures are dressed nicely. They found out he had a C300. It's an expensive Mercedes Benz. So it wasn't about hunger. It was a, that propensity in us when the gap was there to do it. We've got to recognize these things, church, and not call them what they're not. Notice Titus here in private property and not being entitled. 
He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. You see, even if you're a slave and you've got nothing, it's not about what you have, it's about how you live. The Christian testimony is extremely important, and you demonstrate it even when you have nothing by not taking from other people. Theodore Roosevelt said the eighth commandment reads, thou shalt not steal. It does not read, thou shalt not steal from the rich man. It does not read, thou shalt not steal from the poor man. It reads simply and plainly, thou shalt not steal. I want you to notice this verse in Proverbs here because this is a, you know, the whole thing of entitlement is massive and, 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 and people expect thieves to be treated well. Here's the thing, if you steal, the Bible says this, Proverbs 6, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. But notice this word, yet. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold though it costs him all the wealth of his house. So even if you're hungry and you steal, there must be serious consequences. You can't excuse it because it's private property and there must be some kind of consequence. And prisoners, you know, people say the prisoners on the side of the road in the blazing heat cutting the grass. Yes, it's restitution because they steal from me. They steal from my insurance company, literally when they steal from me, and then they go to prison and live off my taxes. Come on now. And study and get degrees. No. I think there must, be, there must be consequences for stealing. And it's never justified. Number five, it's often a sign of laziness. People steal because of laziness. They, they want a shortcut to wealth. Alexander Bracken, the authoress, said this. It's always easier to take something than work for it. And the Bible is very clear that our work is not just to meet our needs. Our work is two things. It's worship and it's also to share. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, I'll do this quickly. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. You see, you can't take anything without earning it, not even food. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, you mustn't even eat if you don't work. Why? Because you can't have anything without earning it. And he says we must work doing something, doing something useful with their own hands, that they might have something to share with those in need. We must work and even work doing something. If you're unemployed for months and months and someone offers you a job, but it's only a quarter of your salary, why don't you take it? Because the Bible says you should do something. But uh, I, I can't take that. It's beneath me. So you'll live off other people. You'll complain that your church doesn't care for you, but you won't do something. Come on, church. We need to start living by the Bible. If I lost my job and I was in a company and I couldn't get back in and no matter what I tried, I'd go and work at McDonald's and I'd show them that I'm management material. And you got, guess, guess what? God watches and he'll promote you. Quickly, I need to get done here. I think that we've got to be careful that we don't adopt the world's way of getting out of work. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says in Acts 20, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is so easy to steal and to be lazy and then to blame it on everything else 
instead of working. George Bernard Shaw said, it, it, is, it is long and hard and painful to create life. It is short and easy to steal the life others have made. And number six, quickly, it's a lack of trust in God's provision. You show you don't trust God when you steal because you take a shortcut to something instead of waiting for God to provide it in his good time. And we must be careful that we recognize, or rather we should be careful to recognize that it's a lack of faith in God when you steal because you say, God, I can't trust you. I'm going to find a way around this. Quickly, my time has run out here, but I want to just give you two things that we need to do as we respond to this. Number one, don't steal from God. We don't have time to read it, but Malachi 3 says, will a man rob God? So when you don't give God his tithe, you're robbing God. You're stealing from him. It's one thing to steal from a person. It's another thing to steal from God. So let's make sure we don't steal from God. But secondly, let's not steal from people. And uh, let's, let's respect others' private property, even if they have a lot more than us. Let's respect it. Don't keep saying, yeah, but they're crooks, but they this, but they that, but they, you know, uh, they think too much of themselves. Let's follow what God says and let God bless us. And here's the thing. If you have stolen, the Bible says you must make restitution because it's a sign of salvation. Do you remember when he went, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house in Luke 19? Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he used to steal. But then he stood up and he said, you know, if, if, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've robbed anyone or stolen from anyone, I'll pay them back four times as much. Jesus said salvation has come to this house. A sign of salvation is that you don't steal. Not that you sing loud, jump up and down, or come to Rivers Church, but that you don't steal. And here's the thing. When he got saved, he made restitution. If you've stolen something and it's within your power, give it back. You'll become free and you'll honor God. And I encourage you to do it today. If there's a pack of paper that you have at your home and you're not entitled to it, you're not allowed to use it, it's not part of your allowance. If you've stolen things from the office, rubbers, sticky tape, pens, it's not part of your job and it's not, your, your, your company doesn't allow you that as an allowance, take it back. Don't at the beginning of the school year, everyone else goes to CNA, but you go to work and you collect everything for your kids. No. Make restitution. Give it back. You'll be free and God will be honored. Read you one quote and I'm going to hand over to Pastor Christian Carlami. John, Jonathan Edwards, the American revivalist, said, A man who hath gotten anything from another wrongfully goes on to wrong him every day that he neglects to restore it when he has the opportunity to do it. Pastor Chris, I'm going to hand over to you and Kyle Lamy. Those of us watching online and in the room this morning, you know what? Stealing is often a sign that we're not right with God. We're not trusting Him. We're not depending on Him. And if you're a Christian today, I encourage you, thou shalt not steal. Very simple, but we justify it socially. And we've got to acknowledge that we shouldn't, and we've got to give our lives to God. If you're here this morning in the room, I want to take this moment to pray with you quickly. You've Maybe not been walking right with God. Maybe you haven't stolen, but you recognize, you know what? I have allowed compromise to creep into my life. And today I need to put Jesus back in the center of my life. I'd love to pray with you. It's a wonderful prayer to pray. But you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, when he comes in, he changes perspective. The light shines in the darkness. We become children of God and we live differently. 
It's not about coming to church. You come to church after you're a Christian because then you grow as a Christian, but you need to give your life to Jesus. If today you've never made that decision, I want to pray with you. Why don't you bow your head with me across the room very quickly and we're going to take a moment to pray. And if you're watching with me online, you could pray this prayer with me. The time has gone and our stream will run out. So I want to quickly do this. But if you're in the room this morning or at home, you say, would you pray with me today? I want to give my life to the Lord. Maybe for the first time, maybe a recommitment. Just raise that hand quickly across the building. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands going up. Wonderful. At home, you respond there. You respond in your heart. Maybe you want to lift your hand in the room. You can do that. We're going to pray in just a moment. Make sure no one's left out. Quickly, you say, thank you. I know God brought me here today and he's spoken to me. I feel the conviction not the condemnation, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's a great thing to respond to God's conviction because when you do, the blessing and the peace of God comes. One last call. You haven't raised your hand. You say, thank you. I need to do it. Awesome. I'm going to pray now. Father, uh, um, pray with me, church. I want all of you to pray out loud because if you raise your hand, you need to pray like this. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my soul. Come into my heart. Make me a child of God. I commit to follow you, to serve you, make a commitment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.